So we are continuing on uh, in Jonah. We had a little two-week break, but we're getting right back into it. And we will continue in chapter three this morning. So if you were here two weeks ago when I preached the first part of this chapter, then you remember that we were encountering Jonah now after he's out of the belly of the fish, he's on the shores of Nineveh, and he's preparing to go and to do the thing that God had called him to do. And I said in that sermon that Jonah's response and the, the thing that is important to take away from those verses is that when Jonah came out of the belly of the fish, he didn't come out with like a new perspective on Nineveh, right? Like he didn't come out of the fish thinking, you know what, those Ninevites, they are all right. They should, they should know God too. He still was not pleased with what God was calling him to do. He still was not pleased with who those people were. And that's largely because he still understood that, you know, God being who God was, He was going to walk through that city and say some words and they would repent. And he didn't want that to happen any more then than he did when he initially ran away. The thing that had changed in Jonah was how he understood God, right? So his obedience was a response, a rightful response to a God who instead of punishing him, instead of unleashing his judgment and his condemnation, released grace and mercy and kindness, So now this morning, um, Jonah's about to walk into the city, and he's about to do the thing that God has now asked him to do for the second time. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to chapter 3, and if you're able, I'm going to invite you to please stand, and we'll read these verses together. We're going to start with chapter, excuse me, verse 3b, which is the second sentence in chapter 3, and read through verses 10. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This is the word of God. Amen. So you may be seated. So, so this morning, um, I'm going to make three points um, about this passage. There's three key things that, um, that I hope will speak to us as individuals, but also as us as a congregation. Um, and before we get there, there are just a few points about the text that are important for you to understand. So when Pastor David preached from um, chapter 2 a while ago, he introduced this idea that there are debates 
about how Jonah ought to be read, right? Now, specifically, he was talking about the fish. There's some people who will say, well, no, there wasn't really a fish. That's, you know, a metaphor for something. Other people who will say, yes, there's a fish. And, and Pastor David, I mean, pretty much we saw that it doesn't really matter so much. The point isn't about the fish, but what God is saying. Now, I, I kind of believe there's a fish because why not? God created the fish. He could make one big enough to swallow Jonah. But you don't have to believe that there was a fish and still get the point of the message. And I bring that up because in general, there's debate about how we ought to understand the book of Jonah. Um, I remember in seminary, there were a lot of folks my first year in seminary, a lot of folk who um, had a hard time because we you know, you come to seminary believing that the Bible is exactly as you've been taught that it is, that it's a book of history, and everything that happened happened exactly the way it said. And then when someone starts talking to you about, you know, well, maybe this didn't happen exactly like this, or maybe we ought to read it this way, they're folk who just couldn't deal. But in fact, the Bible is not, it was not written to be historical entirely. There's some books that are, that are reporting things that happened. And there are other books that were written with the intent of um, communicating a deeper truth. It's not about the the specific facts and whether they happen or not, but God is trying to say something else to us through those texts. Regardless of what's happening, none of that takes away from the fact that as we learn in 1st and 2nd Timothy that all scripture, all of it, is God-breathed. It's all inspired by the Spirit of God. It's all useful for teaching, for rebuking, right, for training us up. So we take it all seriously. It's all important, whether it's telling us a historical fact or whether it is using story to illustrate a deeper point about God. And I think that what's going on um, in this chapter is a good example of that. When I read Jonah, Jonah... There are some things about the book of Jonah that are absolutely historical facts. There was a city called Nineveh. Jonah was a prophet. He did go to that city, and he proclaimed the word of the Lord. There's some other things in this story, though, that the author, you know, I think he's kind of using some literary devices to point our minds and our ears and our attention to some deeper things that we ought to see. And a great example of this is um, in the first verses. So we learn right at the start, the the, the text tells us that Nineveh was a great city, even in the eyes of the Lord, a great city. Um, It took three days to journey across it, right? It's important for the author that we know that this was a big city, a big space. Well, in fact, um, Nineveh was a walled city. It was kind of trapezoidal in shape. The northern part would have been a little bit more narrow than the bottom part. All the way around, the perimeter of the city would have been no more than about eight miles. Um, The distance to travel between the longest part of the city would have been about three miles, less than three miles. So it likely didn't take three days. (laughs) I could walk that in less than three days, right? So now there's some folk who will say, well, no, what, what the author wants us to know is that Jonah was going back and forth throughout the city, and so it took three days to do that. Or no, maybe Jonah had to go from the suburbs into the inner parts of the city, and it took three days to do that. This is, what, um, this is where I come down. There's some other folk who say, I don't think three days matters. When the story was told, the person writing it, the person telling it, was not intending for the audience to start calculating, right? 
to sit there and like, no, 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 wait a minute. No, because I've been to Nineveh. And that takes, no, 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 you could do that in about, what, an hour, two hours? That's not where we're going with that. That's not the point. It's not how many days. It's not how big. And this brings me to the first point I want to make to us today. Nineveh stands as a proxy for all of the great cities of the world who need to hear a prophetic word from God. And so when we hear this story then, instead of having to think about it as this specific thing that God did at this specific time with these specific people, we can say, no, this is probably speaking to me too. Because I I live in a great city that desperately needs to hear a prophetic word from the Lord. And if you are visiting here from any city in the United States, and I dare say any city in this world, you too live in a city that desperately needs to hear a prophetic word from God. Amen? Amen? Amen. So then the question is, if Nineveh is meant to represent all great cities of the world that need to hear from God, if that is the big point, then what does it mean for us? So there, there are a couple other things that sort of point us in the direction of the fact that, you know, God is trying to talk specifically to his people. So God tells Jonah to warn the people that in 40 days, right, 40 days destruction is coming. Now, 40 days ought to perk your ears, and it would have perked the ears of those listening, those first hearers. 40 days is a significant number in all of Scripture. It's the number of years that the children wandered in the wilderness. 40 days is the number of days that Moses was on Mount Sinai before he came down with the law. 40 days uh, was the number of days that Jesus was in the wilderness before he began his ministry. 40 days is important. So it lets you know something. 40 days represents a time of transition, transformation, God moving a person or a group of people from one place to another place and kind of working out some stuff <laughs> along the way. Three comes up in this first passage. Three days, even that number, three days to cross the city. That is significant. Three in the New Testament, we know, is the number of days between the crucifixion and the resurrection. It is what some people call the number of divinity. It's the number in the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's some things in this passage, again, that would have piqued the ears of the people listening. Far from just being an historical account of some things that happened to a particular person, this is for us. God is saying, you who are hearing this word, you, you are called to go to Nineveh, to go to Nineveh. So where are our Ninevehs? Wherever there is brokenness, wherever there are people who have not heard God, who are experiencing injustice, wherever there is suffering, those are our Ninevehs. Those are the places that we have been called Um, There's a theologian by the name of Hans Walter Wolf who puts it this way, and I love this quote. Um, To go to Nineveh, that means for us today to let the great needs and the great instances of evil in the world completely determine the direction of our efforts and our life work. The message about Christ becomes privatized and diminished if we don't pay attention to what is going on in the Middle East and in Washington, in Asia and Africa, in Berlin and Bonn. Or if we don't see our human failure to care for the sick and the old, or our failure in the work of education at home and in the developing countries abroad, 
or the monstrous dangers that are, com that are connected with manipulating human beings through drugs and the lack of genuine care of souls. But Jonah is not supposed to go to the whole world. Go to Nineveh. Go to the one place whose great needs God has opened your eyes to see. Risk your life and prepare yourself to do that which the Lord commands. I love that quote, and I especially love that last part. We have not been called to the whole entire world. We each have been called to go, though, to Nineveh. Where is your Nineveh? See, just like Jonah, we are called to look at the places where God has opened our eyes to see. Where are the places, what darkness in this world breaks your heart? What are those things that you see that people often overlook? Other folk don't even pay attention to, and you recognize that injustice immediately, and you see it time and time again. That's a clue to where your Nineveh may be. Go to Nineveh. See, no one of us can do it all, but each one of us can do the thing that God has called us to do. Um, one of the lyrics of a song we sing sometimes, say, uh, we say, break my heart for what breaks yours. Um, open everything, everything I have at your, for your kingdom's cause. Now, I love that song. It's a hill song. The fact of the matter is that we, <laughs> that's a wonderful thing to pray. But our hearts can't break for everything that breaks God's heart. We, you, you can't. We cannot do that. You can't live and be that person. That's why God didn't create you to do that. That's why he says, cast your cares on me because take my yoke upon you because it's light. My burden is, is light. It's not heavy. You, we can't do it. Only God can do that. But the Holy Spirit will absolutely open your eyes to see specific things in this world that he is calling you to. And the task is to not resist it. To not be like Jonah and say, mm -mm, no, I ain't doing that. But to lean into that thing. Where is your Nineveh? If you want to know what God is calling you to, look at the things that break your heart. Look at the things that you see most clearly. Each of us have been given eyes to see a particular kind of darkness. So this brings me to my second point. If it's the case that each of us, like Jonah, have been called to a Nineveh, have been called to do a thing that God tells us to do, to proclaim, to witness the word of the Lord, then the question we should ask then is, well, why, why, why was Jonah called to go to Nineveh? Said another way, well, why me? What about my biography might be a reason for God to send me to that place? So um, I've shared my testimony here, how I came to be in this place. The way I grew up, no one would ever think that I would be in a church where <laughs> it's as multicultural as this. I grew up being raised as a black nationalist. But that was something that was good and for my good, and God used it for my good because now I'm able to see that same passion I had for black people to be all right in this world, I now have for all people to be all right in this world. There's a way that my biography inter intersected with God's call for my life. That's why I'm here. 
And I think that it's powerful for me. It's powerful in my life whenever I consider the friends that I have who are dear to me who are not black. Because I'm like, man, Lord, you brought me from a mighty long way. It's a blessing. And I think it might be a blessing for someone when they hear my testimony to know that, look, and look at the relationship that we have right now. So what are the places in your life that intersect with the darkness that you see in the world? That's probably a place God is sending you to. If we think about who Jonah was, why Jonah? We talked about this in the first part of um, this sermon series. The Ninevites were an awful people. And they were awful to lots of people, but especially, especially to the Israelites. How powerful is it then for God to send Jonah to that space? Just like Jonah didn't like them, I imagine that they probably recognize that here is this Jewish man talking to us about his God. He knows we don't like him or his God, and yet he is here. There's some ways that God can use you. There's some people God can use you to speak to that other folk won't be able to speak to with as much power and impact. Why Jonah? I can't say for sure why Jonah, but let's look at what happened with Jonah. He was extremely effective. Jonah's words to the Ninevite, his prophetic words were, in Hebrew, would have been five, five words, five, a sentence, five words long. Now, if you have read any part of the Old Testament, any of the prophetic anythings, then you know prophecies tended to be a little bit longer than five words. They usually had a lot of like, you know, you have done X, Y, and Z. The Lord has seen you do X, Y, and Z. The Lord doesn't like that you did X, Y, or Z. And if you continue to, it's going to be all bad for everybody. Like that's kind of how it went. Five words, five, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. That's what, and I imagine Jonah walking through the city like that. 40 days, Nineveh destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. Because he wasn't happy to be there. He, this is what he wanted to do. And yet the entire nation <laughs> repents. The entire, like that almost never happened. When the Israelites went to other Israelites and said, look, God is not pleased with what we're doing. We should probably stop that now. It was not the case all the time that folk were like, you know what? That, that makes sense to me. You're, let me pray right now. No, people, and we're going to get to a story that parallels this later. That's, that wasn't the response. Jonah was massively successful. Now, sure, I imagine, and I know that it's true, that perhaps God could have graced any prophet to do that, right? Maybe any prophet would have had that same amount of success if they went into Nineveh and said that little five-word sentence. So why Jonah? Well, I think that the answer lies in Jonah's response to God's initial call. See, I and not just his initial call, but also his response to people's repentance. Now, I won't go into the latter part because that's going to be preached on at another time. But if we look at how Jonah responded, he got up and went in the opposite direction of where he was told to go. Now, I believe that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh precisely because of that response. I believe that God called Jonah to go to Nineveh because God knew how Jonah was going to respond to the call to go to Nineveh. Why is this significant? See, the places that God calls us to, 
the places, those Ninevehs in your life, in our life as a church, you can expect that you will be just as transformed, at least, as the people who God sends you to. We are all works in progress, right? And so God is constantly using all the things in our lives to shape us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And that means when we obey God's call to go somewhere, we don't just go like, hey, I'm bringing the truth. Change. Like, that's just not, you, you too will be impacted. You too will be transformed. I think we can see this um, most clearly when we think about this story from the perspective of the people who were first hearing it. Um, so this story was written in post the Babylonian exile. So at the time that people would have been hearing this story, Nineveh had actually already fallen. So this wasn't, you know, these were no longer the neighbors to be feared. They were gone. And, and I think that that is very important for how people would have heard it. So if this had, if let's say Nineveh was still doing its thing and the Ninevites were a strong nation and, and a place where people had been, you know, were feared, well, then the story means something different. Instead of it being a story about, um, you know, a story that can speak to you about how you might understand other people, it's, look, these people, you didn't like these people, and they didn't like you, and in fact, they were evil. You were, it was okay, I know why you didn't like them. But now they are the people of God too, and so you have to love them. That becomes the point of the story, that God is a God for all people. Not just the chosen people, but also these people. Now, that's absolutely a a point of this story, right? God is a God of all people. But when we consider the fact that the folk hearing this story, for them, Nineveh was not a threat. The people of Nineveh may not have been their enemies anymore. They didn't have those intense feelings. Then it becomes something different. This becomes a story. This becomes a perfect example of God using the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. This becomes a perfect example of God using worldly things to do a work in the church, <laughs> the people who know him and who call upon him. I, I touched on this earlier, the response to how the Ninevites, what they did when, when Jonah came. So um, as I said, the, the person who's writing this story is very intentional with the language that he uses. He wanted people to be able to think about some Old Testament prophecies. And one, um, one prophecy that this parallels um, is a story from Jeremiah chapter 36. And this is, you know, God has come to Jeremiah and he's told him, I want you to go back to Israel um, and you need to talk, because the king, you know how the kings did. So Josiah was a good king. Josiah's son, not so much. And so God comes to, to um, Jeremiah and he says, look, <laughs> I want you to write down every prophetic word I have given you. Every prophetic word I have given you since the time of Josiah to now the time of this new king. That's a lot of, it was, there was a lot of prophecy that happened in that time. He said, write it all down, write it all down, and then go tell them. Because maybe if these people hear what I'm planning to do to them, maybe if they hear it all, like a comprehensive sort of picture of what I am frustrated with and what I intend to do about it, maybe they'll change. Maybe they'll change. 
And so Jeremiah does that. He calls somebody, um, he gets a scribe, and he starts to just dictate all of this prophetic word that God has given them and all of the promises of destruction and woe if the people don't turn. And then he sends the scribe into Israel to go and tell the people. Very much like Jonah was sent, he says, hey, go. Go into the... And and the scribe does exactly what Jonah does. He just kind of goes into the city. Now, there's something that's important. The city was having a religious fast. They were in the middle of a religious fast. So everybody was sort of at the temple. And he starts talking and he's spreading the word. And it spreads. People hear it. Some people get a little nervous. But eventually it makes its way all the way to the king. Just like with Jonah. It makes its way all the way to the king. So I'm going to read the way the king responds. Because it's just paraphrasing won't quite get at it. So I'm going to start reading from Jeremiah chapter 36 verse 21. I'm going to read through 24. Um, And so what's happened right before here is, like I said, the scroll has been traveling its way through Israel, and um, it's now in the secretary's office. And so the king is sending for it so he can hear what, you know, what they have to say. It says, reading at verse 21, the king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from the room of Elishma, the secretary, and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a fire burning in the fire pot in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with the scribe's knife and threw them into the fire pot until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. That is cold. Like, I know atheists who would not treat a Bible like that. Like, a scroll (laughs) with prophetic word from God is being read in your presence. And he just snips it and burns that. And snips again and burns that. Whatever. Think about the comparison. The contrast. That's an Israelite king. He's one of the chosen ones. The king of Nineveh hears a prophetic word that was all of five words. And he rips his clothes. He sits in ashes and he declares that all things, animals and humans, will fast. The king of Nineveh, this evil nation, before he even got to proclaim this, what the text tells us that the people, when they heard, when they heard uh, the word from Jonah, they did this too. They were immediately moved and impacted and repenting. Maybe God will relent. Maybe God will turn away. Maybe God won't do this thing. That's, though, these are the evil, wicked people. The Israelites hear this. Some got a little nervous. The king burns the scroll. The people who would be hearing this story when it was written, would have been able to think about that story. Those parallels would have been salient. The king of Nineveh was faithful of the Lord. The Israelite king was not. The king of Israel got up and the king of Nineveh got up, tore his clothes and sat in ashes. The king of Israel did not. They would have heard this. God chooses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. 
See, when we go to the places that God sends us, when we respond to the things that break our heart, when we lean into those places of darkness that we see time and time again, we don't turn away from it, we don't run away and say, God, I can't take it, but when we say, how do you want to use me in that space? When we go where God calls us to go, we should absolutely expect that God will use that darkness and that brokenness to bring transformation even in our own lives. Now, that to me um, is liberating because it means that I don't have to go into any place pretending like I am Jesus Christ and I am going to save the world. That's not what God has called me to do. That is not what God has called you to do. It means that all I have to do is be obedient to the first thing that God tells me to do, do that, that, that thing, right? And I can trust the Holy Spirit to work in the way that the Holy Spirit will work. And I can know that however I feel about it, God is going to be doing something in me as well. That will become something that God works for my good as well. So what does this mean for us? So I said at the start of um, this sermon that, that this message speaks to us individuals as individuals and also as a body, as a congregation. Um, many of us, probably most of us, will not experience a call to go Um, in the way that Jonah did, right? Many of us won't experience an audible voice of the Lord saying, get up and go do this thing. Um, But I think that the, the quote that I read earlier is really instructive. If you want to know what God is calling you to, pay attention to the things that break your heart. Pay attention to the things that God shows you and reveals to you. There are things you see that other people don't see. There are things I see that other folk are like, what, really, that that's just was a lot to have taken from that commercial. But I see it. <laughs> that's a way. So, right, pay attention to those things. You're not crazy. You're not dramatic. Pay attention to that. Those are the areas that God may very well be calling you to, to go. Now, I, some of you in this room right now may be feeling very overwhelmed by that, um, you might be thinking to yourself, well, uh, I'm, my heart is broken by a great many things. You did say God told us not to go to the whole world, right? <laughs> like, I don't know if I can go. I don't know if I can do all of that. So here's the good news for you. For those of us who get heartbroken by all kinds of devastation in the world, that's, that, that is good. And the good news that you should rest in is, again, you are not called to be the savior of the world. We already have a savior. That's not your job. You aren't called to do anything but to just submit even that to God and listen and seek him for how he wants to use it, right? The place, the one place, the two places, the people, the specific spaces God is calling you to. Pastor David says this often, and I think it's great. Think about what has God given you influence over, right? All of us have been placed in homes, in schools, in jobs, and wherever you are, there are spaces where you have influence, That's a space that God can use you. That's a space that God desires to use you. Pay attention to those things. So your good news is that Jesus, not you, has already provided salvation for the world, right? So you can rest in that. Now, there's another group of us in this room. There's some people who are thinking, if you're honest, that's not overwhelming at all because my heart breaks for very little. And that might be a tough thing to have to admit to yourself. But I know that there are at least one, two, maybe a handful more of us who, if we're honest, would say, you know, 
Yeah, when people talk about the problems of the world, I can think about, yeah, no, I can see that that's bad. But my heart doesn't really break for much. So there's good news for you as well. And here's, here's the good news for you. If your heart breaks for nothing, that is likely a sign that you have become so um, entrenched in the values of our culture that you um, have maybe become a little hardened in your heart and you just don't see it. It may be a sign that you become bitter, right? I mean, Jonah had every right to be bitter, and he was bitter. These were people who um, would do great violence to his people. So maybe you've become a little bit bitter and hardened. The good news is that Jesus Christ died for you too. (laughs) If, If your issue is that you have just a lot of anger and bitterness, and so your heart doesn't break, you just don't care about these people. I feel like God might be calling me to a multiracial church or maybe God is calling me to speak about racial reconciliation, but I don't like white folk. I'm not in a place where I can do it. The good news is that there's healing in Jesus Christ for you too, right? And that's an okay place to be. That is the beauty of the story of Jonah. Jonah was, that's exactly what Jonah thought about the Ninevites. And it was an okay place for him to be because God saw him where he was and moved him to a different place. Does that make sense? So if you are sitting here and you just don't feel anything, you've become apathetic, or maybe you've become so caught up in trying to get and do and have the American dream that you just don't really think about any of this stuff, the good news is that we can all repent and we will be forgiven, and God will absolutely prick your heart. So if you have a Jesus complex and we repent for that and we pray that God will help focus us on the thing he has called us to, And if you are a little bit apathetic or a lot apathetic or a little bit bitter or a lot bitter, then we pray and repent and we ask that God will soften our hearts and bring healing. Amen? Amen. So what does it say to us as a church? So it is not surprising that all of the individuals that are in this congregation are in this congregation. It's not surprising that in a church that felt called to youth in Chicago, that we have so many people whose hearts break for youth in Chicago. That's not an accident. It's not an accident that in a church that is multiracial and trying to live a racially reconciled existence, and please, that that is a way that we witness and minister to this community, that there's so many of us who were seeking a church just like that. There are a whole lot of you here today who had already come to the conclusion that diversity wasn't just like a cute little thing that the business world can use or that marketing can do to attract folk, but that it actually mattered to God. You came to that long before you came to this church. In fact, that's why you're here. That's not an accident. It's not an accident that you are here. The places, the Ninevehs that God calls you to as an individual will absolutely be affirmed and supported by the places, the ministries that God is calling this church to. Does that make sense? The places where you see brokenness, the things that break your heart, those things will be in line with the mission of this church where we believe God is calling us to. Now hear me well. That does not mean that the mission of this church limits the things that you do or that, right? You, I hope you see this nuance. It means that God brings us and calls us into places where we can be strengthened and equipped to do the thing that God called us to do. None of us have to act as individuals. We are what? The body of Christ. So it makes sense that God would place you in a part of the body 
that is focused on things that, look at that, that lines, yeah, my heart breaks for that too. So as we are in this process of, you know, making our strategic plan for the, the next coming year, um, we've all been asked to pray, to pray about what God is doing, to pray about what God is calling us to. I really hope that that is something that we take seriously. See, that's, that is the message that we should get from this as a congregation. When we say pray about what God is calling us as a church to do, that's not just words that we say because they sound good in a Christian context. We actually mean that each one of us, especially if you call this your church home, you should be praying to see what God is calling us to. Because what God is calling us to is us as a church, us as individuals. We will each play a role in that thing. Does that make sense? It's not just one person. It is the body. You are not here by accident. So the takeaway from us today is to be diligently seeking the Lord. God, what, where is my Nineveh? Where are you calling me to go? And see, this is the great news. We serve a God who is all-powerful. Now, that sounds like a very simple truth. But I feel like we don't always believe that thing. We serve a God who is all-powerful. Trust and believe that there is nothing happening in this world that God doesn't have the power to just nip in the bud right now. So I have to believe that there's a reason why God desires to use us in the world. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to. But he wants to. He allows us to participate in that way. The good news is that we serve a God who has already conquered the stuff. So when we go out and we are obedient, God is doing a work not only in the world, but in us. That's a way that God desires to change us. That's a way that God desires to transform us. Instead of just sitting on a throne and snapping his fingers and making everything be okay, God says, no, no, I'm in relationship with you. And I desire to participate with you in my kingdom work. I'm letting you be involved in this way. I'm going to transform you as you start going into schools and working with youth. I'm going to transform those youth, and they're going to go up and transform some other people because that's the way I choose to work to restore the body. That's good news. That is good news. It means we don't have to be afraid of getting it wrong. It means we don't have to be afraid of going somewhere and being rejected. It means that we know from, hey, you will be rejected, <laughs> and that's okay. It's good news. We serve a God who has already done the hard work. We serve a God who has already won the hard battle. Victory, it's ours. We just get to participate in living that thing out. And in the process, God will transform you. God will transform me. God will transform the world. God will usher in the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me as the worship team comes up. Um, and I really, really, really hope. <laughs> so I, I, Pastor David and I met this week, and um, one of the things we talked about was prayer and how, you know, like, like how, do you, how do you get people to, like, for real, for real, believe in prayer? And, and not just believe in it, because we probably believe in it, but to live in that, 
thing, right? To live as people who are continuously praying. How do you get people to do that? Um, when we say pray about the strategic plan, when we say pray about, you know, the, the places God is calling you to, when I say pray about the, the places in your life where your heart may be hardened or bitter, do people really do it? Or do you hear it and say, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds great. But then, like, not actually ever pray about that thing. How do you get people to do it? Um, so it's my prayer that we will grow in that, that we will be folk who don't hear a message or hear, um, you know, a, 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 a admonition to pray and then sort of say, sure, and not do it. Because a lot is at stake, Right? A lot is at stake. God wants to do things in our own lives. God wants to do things in this world. And, and he desires us to be people who are submitted to him and who hear him and respond, right? So, um, yeah. So as I pray for us, that is going to be my prayer. And even before I do that, I want to encourage you in, in two ways. One, once I finish praying, we're going to have communion. Um, and then our prayer team is going to be up on the side. And so this is a space where if that's not you, because this is the other good news, sometimes that's just not you, right? You may not be in that space yet where that's how you live your life, and that's okay. How about invite someone to pray that the Holy Spirit will move you to a place where that is how you desire to live your life? Does that make sense? So I'm going to pray, and then I invite you to take that seriously and not walk out of here without inviting someone to pray for you in that way. Either it is God... um, I feel convicted in this way, and so I want to take a moment to stand before you. Or maybe it's God, I don't feel anything. And so maybe I want to take a moment to stand before you. God, I feel called to this place, and I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it'll mean. Please show me. God, I feel called to nothing. And I heard that whole sermon, and it sounded great, but I literally nothing. So maybe you want God to speak and move in your life in that situation, right? Any of it is okay. God is fine with any of it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, I thank you that you, um, that you truly do see us where we are. And I thank you that you see us in the same way that you saw Jonah. You see us with compassion. You see us with grace and mercy. I thank you that you know exactly where we are. You know exactly where our hearts are right now. I thank you that you love us and that as we are, you are, even in this moment, you are working things together for our good. You are transforming our heart. I thank you that you are transforming our hearts and softening them, that you are opening our eyes, whether we are aware of it or not. God, I thank you that you are calling us constantly. You are always calling and sending and saying, go, go here. I pray that you will help us to be people who hear that call and who move immediately. I pray that you would be people who earnestly desire to hear that call and move immediately. God, if we're honest, there are some of us who don't hear your voice. There are some of us who don't 
know what you are saying or how you are moving. There are some of us who don't recognize how our biography intersects with the place that you have called us to. There's some of us who don't feel that, don't see that, don't understand that, don't recognize that. God, I pray that you would move through your Holy Spirit in a very powerful way and you would allow the scales to fall from our eyes. You would allow our hearts to be pricked. You would allow our ears to be open and attuned to what you are saying and doing in the world. God, I thank you that there are no accidents in your kingdom. Every person who is in this room is supposed to be here. Every person who is in this room is supposed to hear this message. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take it and you would allow it to fall on fertile ground and bear fruit in each of our lives and in the lives of this church. I thank you that you have planted us in this space For such a time as this, you have called us together, and there is a mission that you have called us to. God, I pray that we as a body would be committed to that thing. And I ask that you would show us what that means for our individual lives. God, I thank you so much for the gifts and the talents that are represented in this space. I thank you, Lord, for the testimonies that are represented in this space. Lord, I thank you for the authority that you have given people who are sitting right here to speak to things that I could never speak to. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the authority you have given folk, the influence that you have given folk to move in ways that I could never move. God, I thank you for the ways that you are raising up men and women to be soldiers in your army, to stand as light in a world that is so dark. God, I thank you that that is a work that is continuous. And I thank you, Lord, that you allow us to participate in it. That you don't just see fit for us to live and know that one day we'll die and go to heaven. But you give us purpose and meaning and calling right now. God, I thank you for that. Because it means that there's nothing in our lives that is wasted. There is nothing in our lives that cannot be used by you. There is nothing in our lives that is not powerful in your hands. So God, I thank you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would pierce through the darkness in our own hearts, in our own lives, that you would help us to see as you see whose hearts Break for nothing. Break them, Lord, for the things that you've called them to. God, help us to be people who are surrendered to you. Let that just be our posture in life. People who are surrendered to you. People who fear nothing. Knowing that we rest safely in the hands of an almighty God. Lord, we invite you to move powerfully in our lives. We invite you to move powerfully in this congregation. Let us not resist you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> so here's the, the great part. So there's some of us who sang the words of that song just now, and you, you sang it, and you meant it. And the good news is that that's really all we have to do is offer our hearts, and God will use you in the places he desires to use you. He will do the work. He has done the work. There are others of you who are standing here. And maybe you sang those words or maybe you couldn't even bring yourself to say it because that's not where you are right now. Here's the good news. The Holy Spirit brought you here today and you heard this message today to help you get to that place. And so you too, all you have to do is just say before God, God, I'm not there. And the Holy Spirit will do the work. He will make, give you the desires of your heart, right? So that you can desire to be in a place where all you are is his that's good news that's good news so it is my prayer that you will go from this place paying attention to the to the brokenness and to the darkness to the things that break your heart because that might be your Nineveh and if you're not able to do that it is my prayer that you will go from this place if you can do nothing else just being able to stand before God and saying help me God to get there Help me, God, to desire it. And he will. Amen? Amen? Amen. Please pray with me. Father, we do thank you because you are a good God. You are a good, kind, loving God. We thank you because every one of us, regardless of how we stand before you, you see exactly who we are. We look at each other and we see the outward appearance. And so some of us might lift our hands when we don't really mean to lift our hands. And some of us are standing still and it looks like we got it together, but we're falling apart. I thank you that you see exactly as we are. You see us. You see us exactly as we are and you love us. So I thank you, Lord, that as we go from this place, your Holy Spirit is continuing to do the work in us. You are continuing to draw us to you. You are continuing to call your people. You are continuing to gather your people, those who love you and have been called according to your name. Lord, let us be a body that does not resist you. Let us be a people who leans in to you. Let us be a people who are not fearful of the world out there, but know that we have been given the power and the authority to be light in those dark places so let us be people who walk boldly into the places you have called us to go knowing that all we have to do is witness all we have to do is tell the good news of a good God who loves us because you have done all the work we thank you for that God we thank you for that God we thank you that you don't send us any place that you have not already been you don't send us alone you are with us. God, Emmanuel, and so we praise you on this day. Please continue to be with us as we prepare to eat. Bless the food that we are going to eat and bless the hands that prepared it. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen.